I had an aha moment in the middle of a conference where I was like, holy shit. And <laughs> I actually, I, I did. And I, and I just had tears and I thought, oh my God, I had that. I did that. I was there. This is me. For me, it was the missing piece. First of all, I wanted to say hi to my audience out there who's going to be checking you out. Hi guys, today we're honored to have Melanie, yes. Melanie, who of course is the CEO of Balance Eating Disorders. And I am honored to share space with you and talk the talk and talk about lifestyle and mental health and eating disorders. And I'm so Excited, as I say, in this space in my apartment. It's like you're sitting on my couch, hanging out with my dog here, and just organically conversation just about so many different things. So let's just dive into this and let everybody know who you are and just take it from there. So hi. Absolutely. Hello, big hello, and thanks again for having me. Sure. Really thrilled to, to be here today with you and your audience. And yeah, would you like me to introduce myself a little bit? Is that yeah, what's Yeah, I would love that. Tell us about you. Tell us about your why. And the more that I learned about you, really this week, checking out your all your stuff that you've been up to, is that our platforms align so incredibly so. We had that chat just to see about, you know, you coming on and your passion for what you're doing is so my passion for what I do. And I feel like yeah. there's not that many people in this world that I feel like you absolutely align with, but tell about yourself, tell about why you, why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah, the big why, right? The big why. And I, I just wanted to to say, we are actually really, really fortunate, Helene, I think to be working though it's I mean it's work but it's it's when it's your passion it, it's still work you still have to get up on Monday and go in but we are very very fortunate to have found our passions because you know life is it's tiring sometimes and we get burnt out even when you're doing something you love and so it's amazing to be able to keep coming back to that why to regenerate yourself and refocus yourself you know so for me my why uh, you know, as, as your audience may know, I work in eating disorders. I've been working in eating disorders for over 20 plus years. I have my own lived experience with having struggled with an eating disorder in my 20s. Though if you had asked me and I was confronted a few times at that time, I would never have admitted it. And in fact, I didn't know that it was an eating disorder back then. I thought I was just uber healthy, maybe a bit obsessive. So I know a lot more now. Uh, and I think honestly, that's fairly typical of a, a lot of a lot of people out there who struggle with either a full-blown eating disorder where it's it's so obsessive that it's taking over most of your day-to-day -day thinking uh, and certainly a lot of behavior but also for a lot of people out there Helene who struggle with disordered eating which is when it's it's not meeting full criteria for an eating disorder but it's still takes up 
oodles of time. It's still kind of obsessive, if not a lot obsessive, and it, it's disruptive and it causes distress. So I'll just I'll just put that pitch out there. But a little bit back to the why. So I had my own lived experience. I never identified with that, and so therefore it wasn't like a compelling uh, motivation to go into the field of eating disorders. In fact. The way I stumbled into eating disorders is really uh, back to do with losing my grandmother at a younger age, or actually she had a heart attack at a young age. And when I was, she was young as a grandmother, she was in her early 60s and I was around 10 when she had a heart attack. And I remember going to visit her in the hospital and I remember thinking, oh my goodness, I need to become a doctor so that I can heal people so they don't have heart attacks. And my grandmother also struggled with her weight all my young life I remember her trying to diet trying to lose weight because you know she was in a higher weight and that's what the doctors said so those those two things had a huge impression on me when I went to university to become a doctor I realized that doctors don't do preventative care and I wanted to prevent the heart attacks not treat the heart attacks after the fact so then I was looking around for an alternative and I stumbled across the field of nutrition to become a registered dietitian, which I had never heard of. And so I decided, yes, that's the way to go for preventative medicine. Also not realizing that no one pays for preventative medicine. But anyway, I digress. So I forged ahead with becoming a, a nutritionist, a registered dietitian that brought me from Australia here to New York for my master's degree in clinical nutrition, because I wanted to explore the world as well. And it was during my internship here as a registered dietitian in New York that I had the opportunity to intern at a research center here in New York. And it was one of the reasons that I came to New York is I wanted to work there uh, because they were studying, it's not, not a word we like to use now, but they were studying obesity. And at the time, you know, we were hearing a lot about the obesity epidemic. And I know there's a lot a big shift in that school of thought now. But nonetheless, I ended up there as an intern and I discovered that they were doing treatment for clients who struggled with binge eating disorder. And this was 20 plus years ago before we had a diagnostic yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. And I absolutely identified. I was like, this is, I don't know if my grandmother had binge eating disorder, but this these people look like my grandmother. They're in higher weights. They've struggled with food. They've been told all these different medical concerns and they're feeling desperate and helpless and a lot of uh, self-loathing etc so I was fascinated though because the treatment team was a nutritionist a therapist a psychiatrist an MD and a sports physiologist so it was truly this multidisciplinary team approach which is a buzzword we use in the field where we were looking at holistically this person, not just calories in, calories out. It was, for me, it was the missing piece because as a nutritionist, I wasn't convinced that calories in, calories out, as we were told, was the whole truth. And we know more now. But of course, food is about a relationship and it's about emotions and family and psychology and body image. It's very complex. So that was really what got me into this fascination with eating disorders. And then from there, I started seeing clients with bulimia and anorexia and then the spectrum. And that's kind of how I got into the field. And once I got into the field, Helene, and started going to conferences to get more training and started learning more about the research and the genetics and the environmental 
triggers and the um you know the predispositions such as anxiety depression that a lot of our clients have i was started to put the puzzle together of my own struggle in my 20s and then i had an aha moment in the middle of a conference where i was like holy shit and <laughs> i actually i i did and i and i just had tears and i'm in the you know i'm sitting in the middle of this lecture and I just, it just had an aha moment. And I thought, oh my God, I had that. I did that. I was there. This is me. And and then of course, learning that there's a family history to this stuff and blah, 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 blah. So that, that for me then reinforced my, my why in the sense of like, not only did I get the obsessionality because I had been obsessive myself, but I really understood, oh man, genetic predisposition, generalized anxiety disorder, depression, mental illness in the family check 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 <laughs> i mean it was all there it was that's just like that's held up, right held up a mirror and you know what's fascinating helene sorry i cut you off but no so interesting and the reason i think it's so important to talk about this stuff because we're talking about mental illnesses here right and mental illnesses for the longest time we we're not supposed to talk about them and they're so taboo and there's so much shame right and and I have all of that in my family, as do many families. So this is not something, this is not, you know, some secret in my closet. It's so prevalent. But the interesting thing here is in my family, all we focused on was heart disease risk because mm. of my grandmother. So all my mother's siblings, my mother, everyone got checked, heart disease, heart disease, heart disease. In the meantime, like every family, most families, excuse me, you know, we have people who have major depressive disorder or, you know, unfortunately suicide or alcoholism, but no one's talking about that stuff, no. you know? And yet, in fact, that was that stuff is far more lethal in many families than, you know, heart disease. So here I am doing my why. And finally, also, I think for the first 10 years, never, ever disclosed it in my field, never disclosed it because in our field, there is stigma. Uh, that you, you know, if you have lived experience, you're maybe using that as your knowledge base rather than being a fully trained clinician hmm. who knows the research. So I really kind of really plugged in to make sure I, I know my stuff, I know the research, I know the evidence, yada, yada, and I practice from that place. But now we're much more kind of embracing of the fact that many of us have our own lived experience. It's like the elephant in the room. So that was a long and winding story. No, 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 no. I, I want, I want yes. you to talk and I want to <laughs> You're the guest. You're so cool. You're going to have to come over to my apartment in real life and hang out. Love to. I love the fact of your vulnerability and just being able to just let it go now. Thank God. 2022. Amen. Namaste. Like mental health in so many families, my family, my parents' family, generations back, have had this going on. No one spoke of it. You took us through, of course, your family situation of heart disease being the, the focal, or you know, everybody was sort of looking at that. But heart disease, generally speaking, I am not a physician, hey guys out there, clearly not a doctor, you know, she's an RD and you know, so forth and so on, I don't have my degree. But I know a lot of shit about a lot of stuff. Heart disease, definitely is there's a correlation between mental health and any types of diseases and possibly situations can bring on 
disease. We all know that. Stress brings on disease, stress brings on cancer, stress brings on yada, 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 gut health. We're all talking about the gut health. All of a sudden we all woke up or maybe we didn't wake up and we were still in our little bubbles and then all of a sudden people started saying, oh, your gut health and your gut is your brain and pay attention to that. and all that other stuff that now we know, but I think about like what we know now, what, gosh, what are we gonna know like 10 years from now or 15 years from now, knowing like, oh God, we knew nothing then, but thank God we're on a trend. And that's why it's, yeah. it's incredible, brilliant to have these conversations with people such as yourself in your position to be able to just talk the talk. Because I realized that many situations affect why and the how. And as you so went through your story so brilliantly to point that out and your why obviously what you do every day goes back to your grandma and losing her at this you know young age in your life and wanting to somehow help that situation but your aha moment is the realization where you see yourself in this and i believe that's your superpower like i know for me the realization of me really identifying, and I'll share this with you and my podcast coming from the heart community out there. When I started uh, coming from the heart, I had suicide ideations and I never even realized it. My aha moment was really three weeks ago or four weeks ago, whatever it is, talking to my friend, Jamie Angelini, where I was like, damn, coming from the heart really is because I needed to connect to a community that I saw. Mm. And so I completely understand when you have that 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 moment and here I am two plus years into the podcast scared to really speak my truth really scared to speak my truth because what would people say and clearly I have a mental health podcast which is crazy that I wouldn't just come out there right away and say this because it still has the stigmas and that's what we talk so much about with collaborations and people and all kinds of things that you know it's so intertwined but really is it it's quite clear to me your journey and your story is based on obviously your family situation, what you were feeling, you know, dieting and all the things that become obsessive about why we, we want to present ourselves in a certain way and our battles with food. And that's what I really want to get into. What I also want to just mention for a moment to everybody is that in 2002, you, you had your own Milani nutrition, right? You had your own, okay. And then in 2009, if I'm saying this correctly, that's when you began balance. So that's right. How did you, decide to go from like, I guess, private practice, if I'm saying this correctly, and leverage that into balance, if you just want to talk on that. Absolutely. Well, my goal with becoming a registered dietitian was to have my own private practice. And I also kind of, you know, was trying to think big and thought, wouldn't it be fantastic if I had a group private practice? So then I, you know, in the future, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a planner. I was thinking, you know, one day if I want to have a family, I could take time off. I could cut my hours down, but I could still protect an income. So I was kind of focused around that. So I established a private practice. I ended up with a group private practice. At the time, we were the only group private practice in New York that uh, specifically worked with eating disorders. So we were the largest in New York. There was only four of us, but we were the largest of the type in New York that really had that specialty. And what happened, and, and I wonder for many of your people who are listening, when you're in a field for a certain period of time, so 
for me, it took about seven years. Initially, those first few years, you're learning everything you can. There's so much to learn. And then after a few years, you start to be able to kind of uh, take a little bit of a step back and see more big picture of the field, how the field operates nationally or at least in your city. And you start to maybe ask more questions about the way we do things, et cetera. Now that you've kind of got, you know, you, you know what your basics are. And at that point, I started to question some of the treatment that was the more intensive treatment that was available around in our local community. And I realized that there was one place in town and unfortunately, they, they had started out really strong, but uh, they'd gotten a little bit behind in the research and they were taking on, you know, more and more clients, so less individualized care, a product of health insurance, really. Um, so I understand that change, but I just thought we need something else. And, um, and so after seven years, I spoke to a number of my my peers who were also in private practice some of the docs we worked with and the psychiatrists and i said what do you all think you know we need something else here in new york and they said we absolutely agree and we think you should open it <laughs> so, <laughs> so, this I wtf it. i was yeah, like what yeah right I, said, I don't know i don't know anything about opening a treatment center it's not a life aspiration for me, you know? Okay. And they said, well, well, we still think that you should do it. Give it a try. And I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. So so then we, we did a group think and I asked them to be a part of my advisory board and I interviewed them all. And I was like, okay, what do you think are the key pieces that we, we if we're gonna create, if I'm gonna create, you know, this, this place in New York, I want it to be a center of excellence. I want it to do something that no one else is doing or a combination of all the best things we think our clients need and so to that end they all gave great input i spent a month out in california because they're a little bit more cutting edge than we are here in the east coast and a lot of my clients i was sending for residential care i was sending them out to california facilities because we had nothing here really in the northeast and so i went out and spent a month going around and visiting all these treatment centers they were so so welcoming and generous with their knowledge and then i brought all that back and i kind of combined it into a treatment center here in New York called Balance. And that's where we started. And when I opened the doors, Helene, um, I didn't realize it, but it was the start of the Great Recession. Like one of those, oh my God, <laughs> was a really bad idea <laughs> moments when, uh, you know, so I was using the revenue from my private practice yeah, yeah, to sure. subsidize oh the, the formation. So it was all bootstrapping, you know the formation of this treatment center so those first two years was so hard and very very frightening when you think my god i've just invested all this money and it could all go down the toilet but fortunately we got through those you know tumultuous first two years with the with the great recession and then you know built upon that and now we're you know in the last two years with covid we've expanded even even more we've wow. grown about 40 percent in wow. the last year or so Wow. which um, I, I'm proud of that, but yeah. I, it's also distressing to know that there's that much need that we needed to, you know, try and accommodate that many clients, you mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Well, congratulations, because having a business, owning a business and kind of getting into it, maybe by default being like, it's always like, oh, I have this great idea. Why don't you go do it? I mean, clearly you had the knowledge base. Clearly you had a community of people that, we're cheering you on to support you. The monetary, absolutely. And I think like for everybody listening out there, it takes time to build a brand. I know that specifically for myself. I mean, anybody out there who has great ideas, you gotta 
be patient and, and be poor for a while. But again, have the passion, have a passion. And yeah. you know, you do, you absolutely have to do, have that because you want people to feel good and you don't want people to suffer and deal with clearly what you have gone through personally. So a couple of different things. I, well, first, I want to talk about the pandemic. It's not even the elephant in the room. It is just the elephant. We spoke of that in pre-conversation that, of course, with your own employees and making sure that they are okay in a mental safe space to be able to then even speak to clients, which a lot of yeah. corporations now are trying to figure out. And if they're not trying to figure it out, shame on them because really at the end of the day, it's about productivity and making sure you know you have a company and you have a business and it has to make revenue, whatever that might be. So you really have to be concerned about who's working with you or for you. I think I'll just put that out there. I want to talk about the employees, but I also want to talk about people seeking out your services for the fact that you said you've expanded by 40% or something like that. If you just want to get into that a little bit. Yeah, um, so uh, the first point there, just about you know taking care of the, the staff so you know our service is only as good as my staff's ability to genuinely authentically show up and genuinely care for our clients and our clients clients all clients us as well when we go and see our doctors or whatever you know when that doctor is actually engaged in really thinking about you and feeling about you or just going through the motions right we totally totally know how to differentiate and so in order for my staff to be able to show up in that authentic way first and foremost i, ha I had to i have to take care of them so that they can then do the really important work that that we do and it was incredibly hard, Helene, I mean, for so many companies, you know, a lot of companies went out of business. And I know that moment, you know, in March, when we started to hear about COVID and we were watching what was happening in Italy and I called in an emergency meeting with my leadership team. And I said, boy, this, this is really scary. If this hits us here in New York, which it has every chance it will, this is just before the first case. I said, I don't know what we're going to do. Are we going to close the business and put everyone on furlough? What are we going to do? Thinking it would be a couple of weeks, maybe a month. And then, you know, one of one of one of the teams said, well, you know, when I used to work in a place where we had, you know, blizzards and stuff, we would just change everything over to virtual for the duration of the blizzard. So that's where we got that idea from. I was so thankful to her. And so that's so we started to plan for, you know, being what would it take to convert you know, 200 clients, 100 hours of programming a week to fully virtual. And you know what? Within a week, we were fully virtual because, yeah. of course, it hit New, New York. So yeah. that was an incredibly scary moment. But then it was like there was none of that organic interaction you have with your staff, those touch points every day, that social interaction, everything as we know, we've come to know on Zoom, it's all very scheduled. And so a lot of my staff are younger people you know in their 20s and 30s many of them in new york are living in small apartments like we all do here and many of them were not living with family or friends so they were pretty isolated themselves so we started out sending care packages and then i had you know check-in individual calls with everyone a lot of my focus was on taking care of my staff so they could then take care of the clients it was it was just a rough time and then trying to take care of yourself when you're kind of obviously we're people too even though we're the business owners we're affected just as much as everyone so it was um 
just a year of just hunkering down, you know, just to get through it. And I think I think we were successful, obviously, in getting through that first year. And I think the second year tripped us all up. I know for me, the second year brought me to my knees. I was just like, I was so burnt out. And it was a, a tough, tough time. And here we are, we're now two and a half years in, I can't even. But I think the light's at the end of the tunnel, because once we got vaccines and such like that, we were able to then, uh, we felt safe enough to... Mm-hmm bring our most intensive programming back in person because clients were desperate for that. Mm-hmm. And the staff, the staff were amazing to being willing to do that. I mean, I've just got to tell you, I'm so grateful to my staff and so appreciative of just how much they understood what we were doing and our why and to show up for the clients and be willing to be uncomfortable in the sense of, you know, most people wanted to stay home, but we had to be live in person, fully masked, fully mm-hmm. vaccinated get you right. know and my staff still get covid checks every single week as do clients a lot of pain points there yeah yeah just a real like going over you know 110 percent. just incredible incredible mm-hmm. group of people mm-hmm. no i mean i mean no i see it in your face you you are an incredible leader i think they feel the same about you absolutely let's just talk for a moment about the kind of training you have let, let me let me before i say training the type of employees that you hire okay and then we can talk about the training so you have of course clinical rd and you know a whole bunch of different people that work for you how many how many staff do you have in new york new york i think i think we're around 35 35 to 37 at the moment yeah okay okay yeah and of that uh we have um gosh you know let's say eight to ten therapists about the same number of registered dietitians and then we have of course a marketing team and admissions team and we have our psychiatrist and our medical doctors we refer out for the medical because most of our clients have a primary care so we work with Mm -hmm. them um, Mm -hmm. in that way so that's uh what what we're composed of and so you know all of our therapists and and rds have a master's degree the difficulty though helene in our field is for the longest time eating disorders have thought to be quite rare and because they've been designated as one of the more rare illnesses no one gets training in it. And when I say no one, I mean registered dietitians, therapists, medical doctors, and psychiatrists. No one gets training in eating disorders. We now know that eating disorders have a, about a 10% population prevalence, lifetime prevalence, 10% of the population. They are everywhere and growing. So unfortunately, we've got this massive need because if you think of 10% of the American population, we're talking 30 million plus people, right? And then you think of the healthcare professionals who need to be working with those people and how many of us are trained. Massive, massive, massive gap. No, it's it's insane. I mean, I know that like I was just looking at some stats like how much, you know, the percentage in the United States versus, of course, other countries that have massive eating disorders. I mean, globally speaking, if you want to just comment on that. Well, globally, we know eating disorders don't discriminate. So 10% of any population anywhere, all genders, all ages, all races, all religions. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we're talking about African nations and Asian nations and yes. European nations, as well as, you know, westernized nations or, you know, America, Australia, et cetera. Globally, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. They've been hidden because uh, we haven't been looking for them. We haven't known they were so prevalent. They've been misdiagnosed. In Australia, the eating disorder community there 
had Deloitte, which is a consulting analytic firm, do an analysis of the socioeconomic impact of eating disorders in Australia to figure out kind of how big a problem this was and what Australia needed to do to kind of step up to meet that demand and need. And it was absolutely mind-blowing what was found in that in that study, so much so that the government, to their credit, got together with a big budget and has put a lot more money towards eating disorder training, awareness, uh, insurance coverage, et cetera. Um, and what's amazing about that is America and our association here, the Academy of Eating Disorders, then followed suit and had Deloitte do um, a similar analysis here. And we found the same, the same sorts of things. Massive dearth, massive dearth of resources, absolutely could not accommodate. Um, and unfortunately, and this was done before COVID, and with COVID, we saw people who were maybe borderline, disordered eating-ish, yes. yes. who then, who then, who then, you know, kind of spilled over into full-blown eating disorders. And the difficulty with that, Helene, is that just because things are maybe getting a little bit better with COVID and boosters and people kind of getting back into their life, eating disorders don't just then go away because COVID is becoming something we're learning to live with. They don't go away. So once you've, you've spilled over into that illness, you then need treatment in order to be able to rectify it. So that, that's also part of the reason why we've seen such a growth in, in, uh, in, our, in our staff and our services to try and meet that need. Mm -hmm. Wow. Do you think it's ever gonna get better? Do you think that, or do you think, I mean, clearly if people are in a position to be able to afford care such as at balance but like i look at what about all the people that can't afford that are just out there dealing with what they are dealing with and i love the fact that you said that eating disorders are hidden you know i think about my own personal growing up as a kid my struggles with um i had anorexia when i was going into seventh grade i was a chubby kid and ate what my brother ate and i decided that summer between sixth and seventh grade to not really eat and exercise and you know i was bullied at the time for that it's you know you, you don't forget those things and being a little bit obsessive with food but then i became very athletic and then i started working out and then clearly in, in college i didn't care i had a boyfriend and i think i just drank and ate and do whatever i want to do <laughs> but afterwards you know i think we go through cycles of that and what i really want to get into right now is to talk about we know social media we know certain certain professions like okay dancers or models but okay we, we we know that that that's obvious that you have to keep you know a certain something a certain size there's fit models thank god now nike and different you know adidas or are, are, are having representation of not just color but also of body types thank god thank god but there's so many situations where the everyday person is just dealing with that oh if my jeans just fit me or you know, I'm wearing leggings the whole time during the pandemic because clearly nothing else is fitting. The pandemic was awful because it, it took out habitual life, you know? Yes. Yeah. So, yeah. What, what, what do you, what, what's your thoughts on that? As far as uh, what's my prognosis, basically, um, <laughs> it's not... Well, I, I, I'm in two minds. I'm in two minds, you know, and I just I've just come out of a couple of meetings today with my team and we're kind of looking at we're looking we're looking at body image. Uh, we're, we're actually launching a coaching service next year to try to help to address the number of people out there who are struggling with body dissatisfaction, body image and food stresses 
but not full-blown eating disorders. And there's, that's, that's honestly the majority of the population. So it's called Redefine Wellness. And mm. we're putting together a curriculum and training for, to, certified co- to certified coaches to be able to deliver a 10-step methodology that's evidence-based around this very thing. And so we were talking about the progression of body image distress in society, the origins of it, where we are now. And we were talking about the different apps that are out there right now where you know some of my younger my younger staff who are really into social media I disengage because I just can't handle the appearance (laughs) you know for my own mental health I have to pull back totally but anyway they were they were telling me about all these apps now where you can be talking to a person and it's not even their their real you know body shape and size and face let alone you know photoshopping and all that is is so so archaic in comparison you know so anyway we're moving further and further towards kind of these very very artificial appearance uh, shaped apps so you don't even know what's real and what's what's not real in that regard. So that's really hard to have a sense of how do you not get sucked into that that appearance-based piece. I mean, appearance comparisons have always been around. Our brains are wired to compare ourselves. Um, there's a survival component to it, but the difficulty with uh, social media, which again, social media can be a wonderful thing, but one kind of negative aspect of it is when we're on social media, we're not just comparing ourselves to the kids in my class or the kids in my school or the kids in my town. You know, you're comparing yourself to the most elite people in the world, right? So the comparison level just goes up the ante to this kind of absolutely impossible uh, comparison point, which leads to a great deal of distress, body dissatisfaction, depression and anxiety. So we're, we're definitely seeing that. We're seeing more and more of that. Mm-hmm. And I think that social media and some of those technologies, unfortunately, because I'm, I'm hoping they didn't set out to do that, unfortunately, we're going to have to, we're going to see more and more of that. And we're going to need to bring more awareness to that for the consumer. So that's on the, the kind of negative side. On the positive side, we're seeing with social justice movement right now, we're seeing a real kind of kickback, pushback yeah. around, you know, minorities and BIPOC and size diversity and our LGBT communities uh-huh. and really trying to embrace and make kind of in- inclusiveness, you know, so diversity, equity and inclusive inclusion so so important so i'm hoping that that will counter some of this other kind of fear of appearance-based stuff and so that's that's my that's my hope and we're also now got more and more understanding in the general public around diets don't work that kind of anti-diet uh revolution to to really use that word you know, we're really starting to see that wave. And so I'm, I'm super excited about that, that public is educating this, uh, themselves more and more mm-hmm. and they're pushing back, you know, and I think we're going to see more and more of that. Um, I hope, I hope. So that makes me hope. Oh, yeah. Let's like, yeah. I mean, let's talk positivity. Got a positive uh, podcast going on here. Let's talk about... Absolutely. <laughs> when you mentioned anxiety, you mentioned you know, depression, trauma, all the different things. When a client comes to an intake, what happens when, for an example, where you feel that this person needs just a little bit more support than maybe what your program can offer them? And also back to training how are your people 
really trained for that? Are there ways that they need to be speaking or things that they're picking up with a potential client that they're, there's, there's red lights or buzzwords where they're like, okay, maybe I need to redirect the conversation in a different way? Absolutely. So regarding training first, um, so as, as we you know were talking about earlier, no one gets any kind of formal training in their programming. So that training uh, really it, where it relies, it's relying upon us to provide that. So we've put together a very, very comprehensive training for all of our staff um, with a lot of reading, a lot of webinars, a lot, a lot of supervision. So we invest very heavily in supervision and training for our staff, which kind of differentiates us. I also have the, the pleasure and, and honestly great honor of teaching at New York University. I teach a master's level eating disorder class there. So that's the only class um, that the students there get in eating disorders, but at least they get one. Um, and so yeah. I, you know, yeah. a, lo a lot of that knowledge, obviously I'm, I'm also providing to my staff if they haven't already gone through my, mm -hmm. my program at NYU, because we tend to hire a lot from from our local universities. So as you could imagine, that first year for our for our staff is very heavy because not only are they, you know, uh, learning how to work with clients and they're being shadowed by more experienced staff. Uh, supervision is when you meet with your mentor who's more experienced than you and you discuss each case and uh, you bounce ideas off, but you also get input and advice to make sure that you're kind of taking the right steps. So we have a lot of a lot of that sort of stuff in that first year. So it's a real sharp learning curve for our staff. Um, and there's a lot of uh, reading and, and such that we require them to do outside of work time as well. So a bit that's of a, right. an no, exhausting year, no, 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 but it's full, it's full immersion. No, it's amazing. You know, I mean, at, yeah, our clients, our clients need our staff to know what they're doing. You know, we're we're fortunate at Balance, um, you know, because I, I'm there. I'm still engaged, uh, fully engaged, as uh, for oversight of of all of our clients. You know, so I, I bring 20 years of experience, and our clinical supervisor also has 20 years of experience, and and an, um, so we have a number of very very experienced staff who are who are mentoring. And so that's a little bit different to a lot of programs where, you know, the medical director often has a lot of experience in the clinical director, but, you know, there's not necessarily as many experienced staff there. Oh, yeah, amazing. Um, amazing. Yeah, yeah. So we, you know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm so grateful for the fact that I am a clinician and therefore can kind of step in and help out with those more difficult cases. Because as you said, there's every single client that comes to us has, has developed an eating disorder through their own unique journey mm -hmm. so no person presents even if they may have the same symptomology no person presents with the same kind of root causes and therefore the trajectory to recovery is absolutely different for each person one person may have a very supportive family the other may have a very dysfunctional family one person may have a trauma the other person may not you know so it's so different and so therefore we have to really uniquely customize and individualize for what's going on with each client that takes a lot of attention and a lot of per personalized care helene yeah absolutely well that was yeah i was writing down recovery what what is the duration usually of someone going through the program generally speaking for our clients in our most intensive program you know around eight yeah. ten weeks um they're with us honestly that 
that eight to 12 weeks is where we really start to see significant shifts. We've been gathering uh, data and doing research, you know, for at least the last six years. And we really see, you know, within the first four to six weeks, we definitely see improvement, but it's really that eight to 12 weeks where we really see some significant shifts. And part of that is because that's when the brain starts mm -hmm. to really get re-nourished. Mm -hmm. Neurotransmitters are starting Absolutely, to yeah. be able to get produced at a, yeah. at a more kind of optimal level, um, et cetera, et cetera. So, so that's mm -hmm. for our most intensive program. Our less intensive program, our IOP, clients tend to stay a little bit longer because they're back to work or back to school so they can mm -hmm. kind of do the juggle. Okay. Um, and then, of course, our one-on-one -on -one services, clients often will stay with us for a couple of years mm -hmm. as they move from kind of more acute to less acute to then kind of longer term recovery and, you know, intuitive eating or working on anxiety, working on relationships, working on boundaries. A lot of those sorts of pieces take a, a lot longer to work through and accomplish. No, absolutely. Quickly, because I want to, you know, I, don't wanna, I could keep you in here all day, but let's talk diets. Let's talk, you know, the fad crazy diets, the lose weight in a certain amount of time and all that other stuff when people come. I mean, clearly lifestyle is a huge component of the why and the how we keep a certain healthy weight, culturally speaking. Every culture out there, I've, I used to teach my international students, um, and congratulations, you're a professor, we connect on that as well, I was a professor, as you know, that you, you know, you're looked to for, for knowledge, and when my students used to come from China, and China clearly has more eating disorders, I can say that because I have lots of Chinese students, and my God, I mean, crazy stuff, they would be like, oh my God, I'm gaining so much weight here because our, you know, the food in the United States basically has additives or preservatives or GMOs or whatever, all that stuff. So that's also a factor like, you know, that food generally, you know, when people are coming from other places, it's the cultural component to how we view food. Yes, yeah. Totally, absolutely. And you know, a really great example of that is, um, you know, we're, there's been quite a bit of research done around what's happened in, in uh, Hawaii with Japanese people moving to Hawaii, for example, and, and even the indigenous people in Hawaii adopting more of the westernized diet. And we're seeing, you know, real changes in body shape and size and health. Um, and so a big part of that is, you know, what's in our diet. We know that, you know, the westernized diet tends to be heavily processed. Uh, we're moving, you know, away from kind of more of our just natural fruit and vegetables and plant-based. And, and, and I will add, it's not just the nutritional piece, that's certainly a component. It's also, you know, because our lifestyles with the industrial revolution, uh, you know, a hundred years ago, and now we've got remote controls. And for the last yes. two years, most of us have been sitting at yes. our dining room tables during COVID. So we just don't move around or we're not, you know, like, thank God we have washing machines now. We don't have to scrub yeah. our clothes, you know, so, so the energy exertion has significantly decreased. So now we have to consciously be active. So we have to consciously, you know, go to the gym, for example, or go out and take a walk or, you know, whereas in a way it used to be more woven in organically. So, so a dropping kind of energy demand because of our lifestyles had a factor, but also, but also we're see, we're seeing Helene, the stress, stress in our environments is a huge factor as well which is contributing to all sorts of different health concerns and, and, and weight as a, a symptom of that, you know? Okay. So, so in other words, it's multifaceted. 
And I, I guess the overall arching thing here is that it's food, but it's also all of those other pieces. And for example, the Mediterranean diet, there's a lot of research around that and how wonderful that is and how, how people who eat a Mediterranean diet are healthier. And I had the, um, the great fortune of being in Italy over the summer. And so I was really thinking about this Mediterranean diet. And I was also observing uh, what I was seeing around me. And I was observing a slower pace of life. I was observing, you know, shorter work days. I was observing a lot more time socializing with family and friends. That is absolutely encouraged. Longer vacation times. So you know, you you know, siestas. Like you should go home and have a nap. <laughs> you know, six weeks of vacation a year. Yeah. Right. Universal health care. Oh, yeah. So if you think yeah. about all of those holistic pieces, when we talk about health, it's not just what we're eating, and and it's not just our weight, but it's a it's a component of all of those pieces. Um, so my suggestion is, I think we should all move to Italy. <laughs> yes, and, I, I, and not I, just yes. live it. <laughs> yes, I I absolutely agree, and I, I I always say that you know or said that when I used to travel, which I can't remember when. When I was in France, when I was pregnant with my daughter, like it's just a different zen. It's a different life. They you know it's a whole different, and even going to Greece or any of these places, we're crazy yes. here. In, in North America, we're, we're insane. And that's why we have so, and you put it so completely well. One last thing, and then I wanna to get to something fun. Weight Watchers, do you, I mean, I, when I look at Weight Watchers, okay, hi, Oprah. Her, that whole diet plan, let's be nice, okay. So I'm gonna be nice, I'm gonna to try to be nice. I always look to say like, that was something that I thought was a positive diet plan. Cause it seems to that, that it really had some type of balance. I never actually went on any of those diets. I was more like after I had my kids, I went out and power walked and tried to just pull back on calories and just eat healthy. Like that was my intelligible way to get back to my body weight. But with, with Weight Watchers, like what's your thought on that? Yeah, no, I, I, honestly, I, I think it's important for us always to have kind of a balanced based stuff and, and this sort of thing and help people with structure, for sure. I, I think there's a lot of really good things there. The key piece, and it's not Weight Watchers specific, it's any of the diet plans, is that we now know that when we put people on a lower calorie diet, we're setting them up for yo-yo dieting. So it's not that Weight Watchers itself is bad at all, because a lot of those elements are really good. It's just that we are learning more and more about weight suppression, yo-yo dieting, and that when people lose weight, because of set point theory, they usually regain the weight and then some. And so it's the yo-yo dieting, the lo losing the weight and regaining plus some over and over that leads a person to have increased weight over time. And, and we now think with the research that that is what increases health risk. Mm -hmm. is the yo-yo dieting and the increase in weight, not where your weight was organically when you first started. Interesting. And so Interesting. Yeah. That's, where, that's where it's the diet industry at large that we're now questioning because the research is telling us that absolutely unequivocally diets don't work. Wow. Yeah, and, I, and actually you focus on what I was thinking all along is that windows of losing weight, gaining weight that bring on clearly physical health issues. 
all different types of Absolutely. physical education. All right, let's get to Absolutely. something fun. I mean, you, I mean, first of all, I just wanted to also comment, you have a book, you wrote a book, Redefining Wellness. You do it all. I don't know. You got a lot going on. All right, something fun here as we wrap it up. Where are my, where are my thousands of questions here that I had? Okay, I have some, I have some rapid fire questions. Which, what did I do with them? Ah, here we go. Okay, are we ready? Okay, so favorite food ever. Okay, it's really broad, but your favorite food ever, something that you're like, you wouldn't, you know, your, your daughter, I hope your daughter's feeling better today. Maybe you guys can have your favorite food ever. Lasagna. Lasagna, okay, why? Why lasagna? The savory, the creamy. Okay. The, the, the hit of tomato, the, the consistency. <laughs> Okay, we'll go with it. Cool. Favorite junk food? What's your favorite junk food? Doritos. Doritos! <laughs> Absolutely. I love Absolutely. it. I love I like it. What flavor? What, what, what's your flavor? The, the chili ones, you know, the, oh, the purple chili. packet? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay, um, I like man, I love them. Okay. Every additive. Do, what, do you, what do you chase it with? Like a Coke or something? You know, like, do you have Doritos? Glass, do you have glass of wine. Glass of wine, Sauvignon Blanc. Love it. Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> All right. All right. This is fun. Okay. Favorite Halloween candy. Happy Halloween almost. Yeah. Favorite Halloween candy. What do you like? Kit Kats. Kit Kats. Okay. What kind? There's many flavors. Are you, are you the light? Oh. Are you the dark? Are you the white? Actually, I don't mind the dark, but I like the classic original. I've got a whole bag here actually ready <laughs> to go. <laughs> I love this. Okay. Kit Kats. Amazing. Okay. Your favorite lazy dinner. Like, you know, you're hanging out and just, you know. I live in New York, so we just order in. So, <laughs> so okay. anything on seamless that I can get delivered. Okay. My daughter Uber is eats. in a Jap yeah, Uber Eats, exactly. Uber My daughter eats. is okay. loving Jap out. Japanese. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. You're in the city, you're spoiled. Okay. Um Best restaurant in New York? I mean, that's a horrible, crazy question because clearly there's, but like your go-to, like some, like you feel like is the best restaurant ever. Mizu Sushi, which is a great little Japanese restaurant just Ooh. around the corner from us. Mizu Sushi, yeah. Nice, what, what do you, what's your go-to, what do you like? Eel avocado roll for me, um, some of the fried tofu. My daughter is big on miso soup and rice right now. She's going through a Japanese craze. I don't know. I love the, the shrimp shumai. Oh, my God. Fish. I mean, it goes on. Yeah. Oh God. All right. Selection. Well, totally. I'm going to have to have that with you when I come into the city. Okay. Absolutely. Um, all right. We're going to move it on to a little bit different topic. Favorite, your favorite age so far. What's your favorite? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good you. one. You know, I'm going to be honest with you. I I was really like embracing the decade I'm in. I'm, I'm just hit my 50s. And so I was all about the 50s and la 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 la. And then COVID hit. So it hasn't been my favorite time, I got to tell you. But I have to say, I think my 40s rocked. Okay. I really loved my 40s. And when you think about it, in your 40s, a lot of things happen. I think for any of us, uh, particularly for women, it's often if you have a family, it's a time when you've got young kids. You know, your career is really at that kind of, you're, you've grown in your career. So you're at a place where maybe you're, 
advising others and and um, a lot of opportunities you know start to evolve in in your 40s as you go through so i loved i thought my 40s rocked Amazing. Um, I hoped I hoped my 50s would, but to be to, yet to be yet to uh, play out. Yeah, well, we're hoping that you know pandemic's going to be over. I mean, I'm I'm still wearing a mask. Okay, and let's see. Yeah. Last one. Most interesting person you ever met. I know you speak to a lot of people, so you're going to probably throw people under the bus that you're not mentioning. So it's okay. And then, and also why. I would have to say off the top of my head, probably two people that I just spent some time with and was really uh, appreciative of that. Two mentors, uh, Anita Johnston and Francie White. They are two professionals in our field that kind of led the initial development of our field. Uh, they're, they're a little bit older than I am. So they were the first people to be treating eating disorders in this country, along with Carolyn Coston. But because I've recently spent time with Francie and Anita, I actually was at a retreat with them for a week. And they're just wise women who've spent their whole life learning both professionally and personally. So when you're around people who've done their own personal work and they're so grounded and they're so wise and there's just no ego and all they want to do is just provide a space for you to do, do your own exploration and also to be able to ask and, and seek knowledge from, it's profound. So I had the absolute pleasure of spending a week with them very, very recently. And just, I came back just like vibrating on a different level. Wow. And, wow. and, and they're, the wow. Kind of, they're the kind of people that you aspire to be, to be like and to become, you know, to become more like them. And, and those are the kind of people I love to spend time with. Totally. When you're talking about vibration, I could feel you like like elevating in your office, man. And we can talk all the time <laughs> yeah. about vibration and frequency because I talk about it all the time on every single Ooh. every single one. Last but not least, we have a segment very small. You've been amazing with these rapid fires, so yay! Heart to heart. A heart to heart is, of course, it is coming from the heart podcast, and a heart to heart is a piece that we put out there to say to our guest a situation that has enamored you and touched your heart in a way that you've never felt before. It could be a personal, if you share, if you'd like to share that. It could be something in your business. It could have been a conversation. I believe that you kind of probably just went to that a little bit with the two people that you spend time with, but it could be something different as well. Something that really touched my heart, and this is actually in line with my kind of wanting people to know their worth and particularly women and particularly our girls is my daughter was here in my apartment with me for 18 months during COVID doing homeschooling. What I didn't realize is that during that time, she was grade one, grade two. She was picking up on everything I was doing and I was online all day during all my meetings and we had a babysitter helping her. As a result of that, I realize now, uh, recently she's been saying to me, mommy, when you retire, I want to become the CEO of Balance. I want to be you. And I was blown away. I didn't even know what a CEO was when I was nine, which is her age, you know. And so to hear her think about 
one day I can have my own business. Yes, absolutely. So she's been asking me now, what should I focus on in school so I can be a CEO? And I got to tell you, it's like saying I want to be the president of the United States. And she said that too, but she's ultra focused on this. And so I guess it touched my heart because for me, as a, as a coming from a place when I was younger, told that you know, you should get married and have kids and, and forget about a career. I was actually told that by family to to now have my daughter at nine saying to me, the sky's the limit, mummy. Um, so that's something that really on a personal level, if I may share that with you all, really just because it represents so much of this next generation and and what's available to them, especially our girls. Beautifully, brilliantly said beyond and I think that's really what it circles back to the beginning of this conversation is that modeling you saw your grandmother of course in a situation where clearly you wanted to support and help and now your daughter's looking to you and saying mommy I want to be like you so I, I believe that we don't realize and with my own children as well the impact that we all make so everybody out there take a moment Embrace the ones that are around you and notice that they are actually noticing you for all you that you do. Melina, you have been incredible. I have had so much fun. And this is my you first too. podcast, like sitting in this space of my apartment with all the light coming in. So it's been really, really fun to talk to you. I hope that there are more conversations that I can support your brand, Balance. I love the name Balance. Clearly, I believe it's because balance the name balance is because because it's there all about go. balance right <laughs> there you go I would assume that that's, that was a no-brainer on that one but yeah i i would love to collaborate support and just be part of your team and your and your space that you give to so many people out there including your employees this has been a wonderful conversation so many people are going to attach to you if they haven't already attached to you and know who you are have a wonderful afternoon with meetings and do what you got to do go home have some sushi thank you so much for these rapid fire questions it was wonderful can't wait to connect with you on a personal level lunch etc and uh thank you julie for connecting me to this wonderful person and i will speak to you soon have a good afternoon Absolutely. Bye, bye take thank care you. thanks so much you're bye. welcome bye see ya